Revelation 12, 1-12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We're going to look at that uh, passage in just a moment together. Um, uh, Thank you to uh, um, those of you who... um, I've just been kind of praying for us, Caroline, myself, and the family, and wider family, and just kind of words of encouragement and support as we've been at a funeral this week for Caroline's mum, as I think probably most of you know, who died very suddenly a couple of weeks ago now. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting time. We really have valued your prayers. It's, been a, it's one of those times where, and I imagine many of you will resonate with this, it's a very sort of mixed... Uh, time where um, the experience of life, you have two, almost two things running in parallel. So on the one hand, there have been points of, um, I guess, you know, considerable hope. Um, and uh, uh, just thinking about uh, Caroline's mom, if you, you may not know, she died very suddenly, but in, in the midst of a disease, which was um, not, very, uh, not very nice. There's a considerable hope that we've sort of seen in her in, in adversity, uh, the funeral service, um, just reflected her faith that death isn't the end, uh, that the Christian, Christians have great hope. We, we look at death differently. Um, and there's been real sort of uh, encouragements in that. Uh, there have been things that we have really wrestled with, uh, the kind of questions that uh, you might expect. Why, uh, why this kind of disease? Um, why now? Why so suddenly? Um, why... Uh, at uh, this particular time? Why didn't things unfold in other ways? And you can imagine, and I imagine your, your sense of life is often that you have those kind of two tracks that are running side by side. Aspects of our Christian faith, aspects, if you are a Christian here this morning, um, a sense that God is with you at points, a sense that there is you know, a sense of faith, hope, and love, a sense of those things that anchor us, 
uh, the realities of life and death and the Christian hope that we have. And then at the same time, the experiences that we go through and the kind of why is this happening? Or why have things unfolded in that way? Why, why uh, we hold that sort of tension as Christians, I think. And I, I imagine many of you would uh, say similarly. I've talked to many of you about your experiences. The, the, the good, the, the encouragements alongside the challenges, the sufferings and the difficulties. And why the Christian life is that kind of mix um, is anchored, if you like, in this strange chapter in the middle of Revelation. And I appreciate Revelation is not an easy ask, and it's now getting warmer, and you might be thinking, gosh, it's warm, and I'm tired, and the last thing I need is obscure chapters in the middle of Revelation. But actually, without this uh, part um, of Revelation, without this chapter in particular, I think we'll struggle to make sense of the Christian life, because it's quite pivotal to what our expectations are meant to be for us as Christians. Uh, It was for um, uh, those uh, John was uh, writing to and communicating to. Why the Christian life feels like that sort of twin track, occasionally a struggle between those things to hold hope and adversity together. Why it is uh, a a challenge in that way. And why, I think, without it, we'll, we'll struggle to make sense of it. Now, this chapter, and this, we're sort of looking at chapters 12 to 14 and chapters 13 and 14 sort of elaborate and unpack a bit more of what you see in chapter 12, but it's really encapsulated here in chapter 12. It's actually the centre of Revelation, and people talk about it as being a kind of pivotal turning point, quite a kind of central marker in the book. And I think we'll see, hopefully we'll see why it's, it's all centred around this struggle, or a war in fact, I'll use the word war um, here, um, and we'll see three things. We'll look at the characters in the war, because you need to sort of make sense of who is involved, and the story of the war and what unfolds, and then partic- hopefully particularly for us, living in the aftermath of the war. So first of all, um, the characters in the war. So if you were, as it was read out by um, Susie, um, the, the story is, is quite strange. A great sign appeared in heaven, so the next part of John's vision. Uh, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung, to, flung them to the earth. The dragon, get this in your mind's eye, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child. The dragon stands there poised, wanting to devour this uh, child in front uh, as as, um, it is born. Now, any of you um, who have, uh, I guess, um, been through that process, you might think, well, it's quite a strange image to have in your mind. But who are the characters that we're talking about? They are, as so often we've said, in this kind of literature, they're sort of, they're symbolic, they're often drawing from the Old Testament in kind of quite rich ways. Um, the woman, first of all, um, is, so in the Old Testament, the woman is, is so often aligned with the people of God. God's people themselves are often pictured as, um, as a woman in, in distress um, and in need of deliverance. So in this sense, she's in need of uh, she's both pregnant and in distress, and so is in need of deliverance in every sense. Um, and if you remember, to, to help make sense of this, right at the beginning in Genesis, in Genesis 3.15, one of the sort of uh, foretellings, the prophecies given, 
was that there would be this battle between the offspring, the line of humanity, and Satan, uh, the evil one. That there would be this conflict. And then that runs through the Bible. And so there's always this question in uh, the whole of the Old Testament. Who is going to be this line, this offspring, uh, this chosen one, this uh, child that will come? And so because it was going to come from God's people, God's people are the woman. So it obviously has particular resonance when you look at someone like Eve. It obviously has special resonance when you get to someone like Mary in the Gospels. But the woman in Isaiah and in the Old Testament is so often the people of God pictured as in distress and in need of deliverance and in expectation that a saviour will come from that people of God. So that's the woman. Um, so here's a sort of medieval picture um, of it's a lot, like this whole chapter. We might think we never go near it, but in church history, it's been pictured and depicted loads and loads of times all over the place when you look for it. Um, and this is a sort of medieval picture um, of, uh, there's the woman you see in the middle there. Um, now you can see, if you can just make out, on the top left um, is the child. Um, now if you've got very good eyesight, you can see the, the child looks oddly both like a baby and like a, like a man. It's very strange. And it's a sort of old baby. Um, uh, down at the bottom are the creatures, um, uh, particularly the red, the red dragon on the, um, uh, on the side there, but also another beast, which they both get mentioned in chapters 13 and 14. But this is the kind of picture you've got here. Now, she's actually pictured here in medieval uh, as quite serene almost, whereas actually the picture we have in Revelation 12 is that she's this woman in distress awaiting deliverance. But the child then, uh, the child is the promised king, the promised Messiah. Uh, The quotation in there um, about the child that he will rule with uh, all the nations with an iron scepter comes from Psalm 2. This is the promised king, Jesus, as we know him. So it means that for, and you kind of, it's, it's worth knowing this at the beginning, where do we locate ourselves in the story? We are actually very much the woman in the story. Uh, with the people of God, the believing community. Okay, uh, next character that you need to meet is the dragon. So uh, here's the dragon, not, um, uh, uh, you know, I take, I, I'm not exactly sure where this comes from. I have a few guesses, but I think it's probably from a modern film. Um, and the, the dragon is uh, later identified in different ways as uh, Satan, the snake, the force of chaos, the enemy of God. Okay, so very straightforwardly. But he has, we're told, seven heads and ten horns. And it's where it all kind of gets very alien to us, but not to those who knew uh, their scriptures. Those are just symbols of sort of power and, um, and, and, and sort of domination, if you like. And they, they go back to the book of Daniel, where there were a series of beasts that were there, and they all had different numbers of heads and horns. And um, this dragon here almost combines them all. So it's the beast of all beasts, if you like, the dragon of all dragons, the enemy of all enemies of God. And there is one more character then that we meet um, uh, who comes in verse 7 when war breaks out, and that's the archangel Michael. Uh, And we'll come back to him in a bit. But Michael is, again, who appears in Daniel, um, is the angel who acts to protect Israel, to protect God's people. Um, And what really what I'm trying to get at here with these characters is... There is behind the world that we know it a cosmic battle that takes place. And it's not something that if you're from the West, you necessarily feel at ease talking about or always that comfortable with. But there is a cosmic spiritual battle at the world that the the Bible is much more familiar with that is taking place behind the sort of veil, behind the scenes, 
of this world. So you have them arrayed, the people of God, the woman, uh, the child, the promised king, the dragon, the enemy of God, and then uh, Michael, as we'll see. So what is the story of the war? Well, the story is this. We say, I said the, the, the Satan, the dragon, is poised, ready to kill uh, the child. Um, uh, midway through verse 4, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment he was born. She gives birth to a son. Um, this son who will rule all the nations. And her child then uh, was snatched up to God and to his throne. So there's a, the first part of the battle, if you like, is that Satan wants to kill the child. Um, and although you, we don't get to lots of details here, the way I guess we would understand it from the scriptures, and if you go back to the Gospels, think about the ways in which uh, Satan tried to take on Jesus during the Gospels. So you see it in the early days of his life with Herod, uh, through Herod when they were going to try and kill all the uh, youngsters uh, to try and sort of defeat him at that point. Uh, Later, Satan takes on Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, and tries to tempt him. So using worldly power and temptations to try and lead him astray and defeat him in that way, but isn't able to. There are points in the Gospels where human agents... Uh, work to plot against Jesus. There is a point, if you remember, where they all uh, pick up stones ready to stone Jesus, uh, to kill him, and he escapes. And of course, ultimately, there is a plot that the religious leaders bring together to crucify him. And one of the things the Bible is telling us is that behind those is the enemy of God, Satan, is at work seeking to destroy and kill his saviour. But Satan is thwarted, and it comes in this sort of blink-and-you-miss-it kind of bit where he says he's kind of snatched up uh, to God. It's why in that medieval picture um, the the little child was up in the kind of corner because he was being taken away and up to heaven. And so in a sense, in that little phrase, you've got to imagine the birth and the life, death, ministry, and ascension of Jesus all in one little go. So there is this sort of snapshot of Jesus' life here on earth before he ascends to rule uh, on his father's side. So he escapes Satan's clutches, but that means then you've got got a sort of uh, a dissatisfied Satan uh, ranging around looking for a fight. Um, And verse 7 says, War broke out in heaven. Michael, the uh, the archangel Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, uh, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Uh, but they weren't strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And really the, the, what I think John is trying to get across in this um, part of the story, the story of the war is that it's not an equal battle. It's not an equal battle. So it's not the fact there are sort of two evenly matched sides and Satan has as good a go as he can, and God has as good a go as, as he can. Actually, it's not equal at all. And Satan is roundly defeated and hurled out of heaven by uh, Michael and his angels. And it's something that, um, again, we, it might, we might not be that familiar with it, but actually it's been a part of uh, Christian understanding across the world and church history for a long, long time. Um, and that this, uh, this battle, this defeat of Satan is complete, and it's not in doubt. 
So when we think about life and we think, oh, is it just a sort of, is it an evenly matched? And there are times when Satan might get the upper hand. Actually, it's not the case. The, the, the battle is complete and final. Now, if you're still with me at this point, you're kind of going, this is very strange. And I, you know, I'm, I'm clinging on, Paul. I'm just some of you might, um, particularly if, if you're not, if you're a bit more skeptical, you're not a Christian or you're just unsure of this kind of thing. Um, but you might be somebody um, who is a, a, a lover of stories, um, lover of literature, lover of, uh, of this kind of thing. And you might well have come across, so the most recent good example of this, Philip Pullman's uh, novels, um, uh, which were made into a TV series, His Dark Materials. A really interesting, um, there's a little still from uh, one of the, uh, His Dark Materials. Now, Pullman is not, um, uh, I, I would say he's not a fan of uh, Christianity in many ways has lots of issues with it. But it's really interesting. If you're somebody who's a bit skeptical and not sure, but you enjoy stories and you enjoy this kind of uh, storytelling and literature, you're, you've got a kind of dilemma. Because in some ways, Pullman, who depicts in his story a war in heaven, there are angels, there's a battle, it's all there. You can't really have Pullman without some of the things that were before it. Now, the big antecedent he's got, the big person before him, is a chap called John Milton, who wrote a poem in the 17th century called Paradise Lost, which um, I studied for many years. Um, here is a picture of a similar kind of thing. Here is the war in heaven from that sort of era where at the top there you've got um, uh, Michael um, throwing out Satan below um, and casting him out. You can't have Pullman without somebody like Milton, who was a Christian um, and a believer, and you can't have Milton without Revelation. And this is a 17th century uh, representation of Michael defeating Satan. And you can just about make Satan out. Uh, he's got his foot on his head and throwing him out. And the dilemma for you, I think, is or, or, and we want, we, we love the stories. We love the literature that, that is there. We love the kind of creativity. But actually, the resources for that are all Christian. And part of the way we make sense of our world is Christian. And sometimes we don't realize the air that we breathe uh, has Christian roots, if you like. And so it's just, it's one to reflect on. If you know somebody in that situation, it's just that I always think there's an interesting dilemma for somebody who wants that kind of creative engagement with the world and loves those kind of stories. But actually, so much of it comes from our Christian understanding of the world, of good and evil, and our need to sense that, that evil is defeated. Okay, a little bit of a sidebar for, for those uh, who might be interested. If it sailed over your head, don't worry. The war is not an equal one. Satan is cast out. And so really what's relevant and particularly helpful for us as Christians is then living in the aftermath of the war. Because the, the war has been won, if you like, but that doesn't mean that battles don't still take place. Um, a different, uh, different story. Um, at the end of The Lord of the Rings, uh, if you know the story, um, uh, there is a, uh, a chapter, a section called The Scouring of the Shire. Um, and what happens is the, the major battle with Sauron, the great enemy, has happened, and he's been defeated. But they arrive back to their sort of homeland, the Shire, to find that there are all sorts of problems, because there are sort of local villains who have emerged and sort of made a nuisance of themselves. And there is a kind of struggle that they have to, to clear, to cleanse, to, to scour the Shire, the major battle has already happened. It's not in doubt. There's no difficulty. There's no, there's no sense in which this might all come back at them. But there's still the reality that there are battles and difficulties and struggles that take place locally. 
And it's the best kind of example, I guess, of what is happening here in Revelation, where John is trying to say, look, Satan has been defeated and he's been hurled out of heaven. But that doesn't change the experience for us as Christians on the ground, where the reality is that there are struggles, and we have to hold those two things in tension. Um, Who is it who Satan takes on? Well, if you have a look at verse 17, just cast your eye down. At the end of this, you just get a sort of ep- uh, final bit where it's, we're told the dragon who's been thrown down to earth um, was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So the dragon is now on earth, raging around, wounded, bitter, angry, spiteful, and targeting the woman and her offspring. So he's basically saying he's out for ordinary Christians. Um, And I said earlier the horns are the sort of picture of power, and how does he do that? Most often just being behind oppressive human powers. I think this is really helpful for us. Um, Let me give you kind of two reasons as we pull this together, two reasons why I think this is helpful. Because what this is trying to say to us is the time we live in now is a time of victory and a time of suffering at once. It's a time of victory and a time of suffering all at once. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you can say two things at the same time. You can say, looking at verse uh, 12 um, of the the sort of, there's a kind of song that summarizes what's happened. Looking at verse 12. You can say, look, do you know, I know there are struggles and difficulties as a Christian in this world. And verse 12, um, it says, Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. If we're Christians, we can say, we know that Satan prowls around like a wounded animal. We know he's enraged. We know that there will be oppression. We know that there will be wars, injustices. We know that there will be persecutions. And if we don't allow for that impact of Satan in our world, then I think we've got a shallow sense of what being a Christian is going to be like. If we don't sort of see that actually behind uh, the kind of challenges that we see behind oppressive uh, human regimes, there are forces of evil, there are forces of darkness, there is the work of Satan. If we don't realize there will be difficulty, there will be disease, there will be struggle, there will be suffering, we have a shallow view of what this life is going to be like. Now, I know many of you come from places in the world where actually you're much more comfortable at talking about spiritual battles, the spiritual realities of this world, than perhaps we can be in the Western world, if you kind of group them in that way. But if you're a Christian, you can say, I know there are struggles. But if you are a Christian, do you know, you can also say this morning and at any point in your life, you can also say, Satan no longer has decisive power. Satan no longer has decisive power. Just have a look with me, if you would, just at verse 10. So the the song that they sing in heaven, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Now, Satan, again, you might know, comes here and 
is frequently referred to as the, the accuser. Satan is the one who accuses, uh, who is sort of his greatest, one of his greatest weapons is the voice he uses, you know the voice that says, you're a failure. The voice that says, you know, you deserve this difficulty you've got yourself into. You deserve this suffering, this hardship. You, you really don't deserve God's kindness or love. That voice, the accusing voice, the voice of Satan, and that's, the Bible tells us, you know, accuses humanity before God. It says, of course they're sinful. Of course they're failures. Of course you don't deserve any goodness from God. Of course you don't deserve his kindness. Of course you're a failure. Of course your life is a mess because of what you've done. Those accusations, the voice of accusations. Maybe you know those um, as well as I do. And the story of Revelation is that the, the dragon, the accuser, is not stronger than the son. He's not stronger than the son of God. And that the accuser has been silenced. He has been hurled out of heaven. He has been thrown down and he's been defeated by the blood of the lamb as they uh, go on to sing. And any time that you and I hear the voice accusing us, that sort of rears up, even as if you've been Christian for decades, you still have this voice that says, do you know, do you think God eventually is going to go, I'm done with you? Maybe you do deserve it. Maybe you do deserve to be thrown out. Maybe God isn't really, you know, he won't have time for you in the end. Maybe he'll, he'll give up on you at the last moment. That voice has been defeated. That voice has no validity anymore. That accusation has no power. Jesus says, I have washed that voice away. I have silenced that voice. It is no longer admissible in court, if you like. Why? Because Jesus says, I speak for you now. Do you know in the story of the Bible, Jesus dies, rises, ascends to his father's side, and we're told in the book of Hebrews he now lives and intercedes for us. You and I have Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father who intercedes, who prays, who speaks on our behalf. And the moment that accusation comes in our mind, we need to remember we have, God, we have Jesus who says, has no validity. I stand for them. I stand in their place. You want to know what they are like? You look at me. And if you and I feel that sense of failure, that sense of struggle, that sense of undeservedness, we need to remember Jesus says, I speak for you now. I speak on your behalf. It has no validity. So a Christian, look, I, I, this is why this chapter I think is so helpful for us. It actually paints quite a cosmic picture, quite a big picture, that there is a, a victory that has been won. But the reality of Satan prowling and making life difficult is not something we should ignore. But it means we hold those two things in tension. We, know, we can say, look, I know there are struggles. I know there is going to be this kind of hardship that we'll come across. But Satan no longer has decisive power. Jesus has defeated him, thrown him out, and now stands and speaks for us. And I hope that that might help us frame and understand kind of the life that we lead. It is that twin track. It's often mixed. 
And often we're trying to tease out why do I feel the encouragements of God's people and a sense that God is there at times and why do I feel the struggle of why on earth is this happening to me? And I pray that might be an encouragement for us this morning. Why don't we pray together? Father, we do just, we commit this to you and pray for your, uh, just your perspective. And Lord, as this kind of curtain is pulled back and this veil is revealed, Lord, it can be unnerving. But I pray it might actually frame our sense of who we are as Christians in your world, the times we live in. And Lord, we, uh, we just reflect on the blessing of, uh, of what Jesus has done for us. And I pray just that it would help us to be able to, to, to say both of those things, to know the realities of struggle and difficulty and yet know the victory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.